2: linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place with linkedin you can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today
3: what's your message to democratic voters out there who said They voted for lawmakers to protect voting rights, turn the tide on global warming, lower prescription drug prices, reform police departments, raise the minimum wage, tackle student debt, and have gotten none of it.
1: Our message to them is that we're still fighting for absolutely every component of what you just listed. And that uh, right now, uh, we're dealing with the realities of the fact that we have uh, a very slim majority uh, in the Senate and in the House. Uh, That makes things more challenging than they have been in the past. I would also note and I bet a lot of Americans who Have conveyed their advocacy for a lot of those issues issues. The president cares deeply about Uh, have also cared deeply about getting the pandemic under control, have also cared deeply about ensuring schools are open across the country, that small businesses are functioning, that our economy is up and running. And those have been the top issues uh, basically in every piece of data we've seen across the board. So the message uh, from the president to them is he is committed to continuing to fight. Uh, You heard him say this week that voting rights, uh, the rights of people to express their views at the polls uh, is something that is fundamental to him, and uh, he's going to stay at it.
3: Hey, everybody, welcome in to another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon and I'm Nick Saveri on the program today. Those damn Democrats, Nick. You know, we're going to talk about Democratic messaging. The 2022 midterm elections are around the corner. Uh, and we are going to have Marie Harf. She's a Fox News contributor, but also a former spokesperson for the State Department. She worked as an advisor for Secretary John Kerry. She worked for uh, as a campaign manager for Representative Seth Moulton. She's going to be joining us on the program to talk about everything Democratic messaging Method. and how to combat misinformation and disinformation. More on that later on the program. But first, I say hello to Nick Severi. Nick, our Raiders, Nick. That was a tough game yesterday uh how are you doing besides that loss last uh, last night still still stings
2: but it's funny it comes down to a final drive right like that's something that's something to celebrate man like that's it was the story of that season like they for as bad as they played in the first half all the penalties everything you still have a chance to win it at the end um there's a lot to build on. I, I celebrate that. But yeah, now the, the offseason malaise begins, just begins later yeah. than it normally does. So None of
3: these are in the text messages that you sent to me yesterday, angrily uh, doing that. So just to let oh. our audience know. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I full disclosure, I assume they lose every game. Like right, I just
2: right. But listen, fairness to Raider Nation. I've said that since, you know, for a while and they've won since. So right. consider me your, you know, your negative Nancy. Good luck charm. How's everything else besides that? Good. Yeah. Just keeping, keeping safe. You know, um, you know, we're seeing a rise in cases in this area. My wife, obviously at the hospital is just being mindful of it. So yeah, there's that about the yep. plan, my trip. So, um,
3: yeah. well, well, it. it's funny enough. We have a, a doctor coming on the program in the coming weeks. Dr. Right. Offit will be on the show. Uh, he's the head of the children pediatrics over at Philadelphia hospital, also a CNN contributor. He's written a couple books as well. And, um, the rotavirus vaccine he's the founder of so he's going to be coming on the program so if you have any questions uh, if you have any kids out there that you're listening to this program and you know you're a little bit hesitant about giving the kids the vaccine or or your kids have gotten vaccines you're you're, you're questioning about whether they should get a boost or something like that you have questions email us can we please talk podcast at gmail.com we've already gotten a, a few Uh, Listeners out there that have asked questions. uh, And so we're compiling those and we'll be asking Dr. Offit that that'll be in our next episode. But first, let's focus on this episode. Uh, We teased at the top. Marie Harf will be on uh, in the next segment. You heard the clip earlier on uh, at the top of the show from uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Talking about uh, Democratic messaging, right, why should Democratic voters, you know, not be so upset because of some of the different things, the bills that the Democrats are trying to pass, and they do have a simple majority. I want to play a couple of clips before Nick and I kind of dive into this about Joe Biden recently spoke in Georgia about voting rights and the importance of that. And then there was some back and forth on the Senate floors about the filibuster and the voting rights legislation. So we're going to play some clips here from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and then Kristen Cinema somehow trying to make a point in her soliloquy recently on the floor. Take a listen to these clips. Pass the Freedom to Vote Act. Yeah. Pass it now. Which will prevent voter suppression. It's also time to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. I've been having these quiet conversations with members of Congress for the last two months. I'm tired of being quiet.
1: Leading Democrats say they want to break the Senate because of a sinister anti-voting plot that is sweeping America. Of course, this is totally fake. It does not exist. The current control of Congress and the White House were decided in 2020 by the highest turnout in 120 years, 90% of, 94% of voters said voting was easy. More Americans say current voting laws are too lax than say they are too restrictive. Eliminating the 60 vote threshold will simply guarantee that we lose a critical tool, that we need to safeguard our democracy from threats in the years to come. It is clear that the two-party strategies are not working, not for either side, and especially not for the country. Now, it's comfortable for members of each party, particularly those who spent their career in party politics, to think that their respective party alone can move the country forward. Party control becomes a goal in and of itself. Instead of prioritizing, a healthy, appropriate balance in which Americans' diverse views and shared values are represented.
3: All right. So a lot to dive into there. Um, first, let's start with President Biden's speech. Nick, uh, your your takeaway on President Biden's speech recently in Georgia about voting rights and the need to pass voting rights legislation at the federal level that can kind of guarantee uh, things for people that don't want to go to the ballot voter id measures etc etc uh give me some of your takeaways from hearing president biden's speech recently honestly it's a little it
2: feels and i it feels a little too little too late for me um you know he came into office january 2021 this has been something that we've talked about for a while um especially when you start seeing rollbacks in in some states about trying about just Fundamentally making it hard to vote. Um, most recently in Wisconsin, we just saw a judge overrule boxes, that those boxes aren't, that there's no reason to have them. These are for mail in votes, folks. If you were one of those that um, during the previous election had gone over to like, you know, post office or something and you saw like a box for your ballot, you could just drop it in and keep it moving. State of Wisconsin trying to rule that out. Ask yourself constantly. Why is someone making it harder to vote? And if your argument is something to the effect of voter fraud, then I would ask you to present data that proves it. Because the only time it ever seems to come up is when we seem to see that Republicans are the ones trying to game the system. And again, this isn't about partisan. That's simply fact. If you look at who's what people tend to come up in this, not to mention we've had an attempt at election fraud from the previous administration. That all being said, Biden's on the stump now for this. But I would ask where this has been a year since you've come to office. This should have been very much higher on the docket. Now, to be fair, you've had Afghanistan and there's so much. I mean, if we really step back and look at the administration and what they've walked into and this thing called COVID. Right. But yeah, this does feel like you're running late on this and the timing of it between what Senator Schumer is trying to execute on the floor of the Senate, um, Senator Sinema's recent comments. The Democrats are coming late to the table for
3: something that many, many voters had said from jump, you needed to be on top of earlier. I mean, there's so many things they're trying to get past. It's, it's insane to think that Biden's already been president for a little under years of this taping. But I want to read you real quick. A political playbook poll recently came out where 68 percent of Democrats think that there should be changes to the Electoral Count Act. Right. Uh, 50 percent of independents polled in that poll uh, agreed that there should be some changes. Forty four percent of Republicans polled in that poll feel like there should be changes to the Electoral uh, Voter Count Act. Now, what about the Democrats' Freedom to Vote Act, right? Uh, Expanding access to early voting. 65% of people polled in that poll support it. 23% of polls, uh, the others, if you don't get the other percentage, that means they, they declined to make up. Uh, whatchamacallit, an election there. Uh, expanding same-day voter registration, 56% of people s- support it. Making election day a federal holiday. A lot of people have talked about that. I I still don't understand. There's other countries, there's other precedents where other countries make election day a federal holiday. 61% of people polled in this political playbook poll want uh, a f- election day to be a federal holiday. I mean, who doesn't want another federal holiday, right? Um so there's a lot of uh, of people that that want this and there's support for it. You heard uh, Kristen Senema's comments there about ending the filibuster. What do you make of what she said overall? Because there is truth to it, but then there's also precedent for circumventing it, right? Like if you do get rid of the filibuster, right, and then you lose your chamber of Congress in the next election, you are subject to Republicans doing whatever they want. The problem is, shouldn't it be like, well, I'm in charge now. So if we get rid of this, we can pass whatever I want. And I'll deal with the consequences later of if they take over. W- where do you lean in that in that regard? Remember what, remember what President Trump had tried to do
2: very early in his administration when it came to the Affordable Care Act that we know as Obamacare. There was a concerted effort to get that removed. And it got down to the Senate floor and, um, you know, and former Senator now deceased, obviously John McCain had been a deciding vote to not support this, but president Trump knew enough to focus on the now. And again, you all know me. I'm not obviously a fan of the foreign president, but I do respect the sense of urgency. And this is something that Republicans tend to have over Democrats. This idea that the fight never ends, This is the fundamental difference between voters of these two different parties. Republicans keep coming to the fight, even when they're in the majority, because the narrative for them is constantly we are losing. We're losing this country. That's what you get. Gets the base stirred up, even when there's no factual evidence to back that Democrats show up when it's convenient. You know, and we wait generation after generation after generation when when we need hope and we need another Kennedy or we need another Obama. And then suddenly we all come because Republicans magically figure out how to foul things up again. Right. Again, this is not even so much about partisan politics. The data will tell you this. Like you look right. at previous economic recessions from 1928 or 29 to now. It almost always happens under a Republican president. Why? you have to question how you deregulate you have to look at how you let the markets handle themselves as a country we we struggle with that anyway but and to what the what the press secretary had said the problem is and to the person who said i asked for all these things not being met hey buddy recognize slim majority and tell your friends to vote seriously If you are left-leaning, if you are between the ages of 18 and 25, if you are dumb enough to think that simply just posting a retweet or simply using social media, show your ire. Folks, I'll give you the simplest example. I've said this to Mike, and I've said this to tons of people I've run into. Over the winter holiday break, just before Medicaid or Medicare, I always get that one mixed up, went comfortably through funding through the Congress with no opposition. No opposition. Student loan debt is always the argument. Can't get it done, right? Even even the Biden is sort of is on the fence with this. I mean, now we're seeing, you know, a pause in you know federal payments, which is all you got. I mean, people are obviously looking for the abolishment of you know student loan debt, and all you got was sort of the crumbs of well, you don't have to make payments till May. What's the difference there? The difference is that to Medicare, those voters show up every every election cycle. Ethel and Maud and I try not to be facetious about, but let's be keep it. Let's keep it a hundred here. Right. They're going to be there. They're going to either help make sure you can vote, or they're going to be the ones doing the voting to young people, and I'll include our generation too because sometimes we don't show up. We're the problem. You know, you look at someone like Congresswoman Cortez. While I have some issues with her politics, God bless the fact that a young woman said to an incumbent Democrat, "You know what? I'm tired of this." And our district is tired of you playing games with this stuff and just being milk toast and not really being a progressive. Get up out of here! And she won, and she's going to keep on winning. And if Democrats want this slim majority to expand, then show up. Yeah. You best believe as soon as Conor Lamb gets the nomination for the Dem- for the for the Senate seat or for the Senate race in Pennsylvania, I'm showing up. I'm fighting my ass off to make sure he wins and or, or anyone, so long as that ass clown Dr. Oz doesn't win or any Republican, because that slim majority has got to get to a larger majority. And if the Republicans have slim majority, you best believe they're going to expand themselves to have a larger majority, because that's how it gets done. The Democrats have to stop fighting the, the Twitter battles and the faculty room arguments and show up on
3: election day, however election day is, a, is available to you. Right. I think there's, I think there's some fatigue in that. Democratic messaging and that and that fatigue of getting people out to the polls. Republicans poll. don't have fatigue, brother. They, you no, know they, this. No, no, they do not. They go to the polls. Listen, one one last thing that I thought was super interesting from that political playbook poll. Uh, they asked a question. The Senate has 100 members representing the 50 states. Which, which of the following comes closest to your opinion, even if neither is exactly right? So bills in the Senate should require at least 51 of 100 votes, meaning a simple majority. Only 40% of people approved of that. Then the second question was bills in the Senate should be required to have at least 60 votes, right? Which is currently the, the two-thirds threshold right now. Only 41% of people voted in that. So, again, you didn't even get a majority in those polls. Um, I just thought that was funny on this on face. Um, listen, the, the, the consensus is people want to expand access to early voting. I, I, again, I've said this a bunch on this show. I say it in the next segment with Marie. Um, I don't want to speak in generalities. I like to speak in actualities. Myself is the example. This past year in 2020, when I went to to vote, uh, I did mail in voting because this, I was in the state of Florida. I was registered in the state of Florida. I had access to early voting. The lines were pretty long at you know at polling places on election day, and you know those counties, especially Miami Dade County, Broward County, and Palm Beach County, you get a lot of voter turnout. Right. The big thing that people are fighting for is to because election day is not a federal holiday, right? Keep these places open longer and expand access to early voting. I was able to, and my wife as well, we were able to mail in our votes, our, our ballot, excuse me. And my wife, she had to cure her ballot, right? Because of a signature not matching. She was able to cure it all before election day. That's what we're fighting. That's what people are fighting for here, regardless of politics, Republican or Democrat. And by the way, we're talking about actual Republicans and actual Democrats. We're not talking about the wackos on the on the far right. you guys know who they are already. we're not we're not talking about those people that are trying to influence state legislature legislatures and 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 local uh you know people that are election integrity officials and things like we're not talking about those idiots. We're talking about Republicans and Democrats, you exercise your right to vote and all within the confines of whatever your state's laws are, right? If I have in Florida, October 19th, early access to mail-in voting, I was able to access that. And we were able to cure a ballot just in case something like that happened. You know, you signed your license 10 years ago. You don't remember how your signature was 10 years ago and you're able to cure it. So this is what we're trying to fight for. But I, I you made a couple of great points there. And I think the overall takeaway was really the fatigue about this, right? Because of the messaging. Democrats don't get stirred up unless there's like one big unifier, whereas Republicans have this phenomenal messaging system through their media channels right now, but also they're all on the same page uh, politician-wise with the talking points. And in the next segment, nobody better. What a segue, Nick. In the next segment, Marie Harf, a former CIA officer, a former spokesperson for the State Department. She was an advisor for John Kerry. She was a campaign manager and a communications uh, director for uh, uh, Representative Seth Moulton. Nobody knows better about communicating to Democrats to trying to get people out or at least relaying a message to the American people than Marie Harf. She's a Fox News contributor. In the next segment, we're going to talk about Democratic messaging, all of this with Marie right after the break. All right. Here to talk about everything that's going to happen in 2022 in the midterm elections from the Democratic angle. She's, she knows everything. OK, there's <laughs> nobody better to talk about Democratic messaging than Marie Harf. She's a Fox News contributor. She's a former deputy spokesperson for the State Department, for campaign manager for Seth Moulton. She joins us here on the Camry Please Talk podcast. Marie, Mike and Nick, thank you so much for hopping on the pod today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I feel like you oversold my knowledge there. If any of us knew everything the Democrats <laughs> should do this year, we would all be making a lot more money. <laughs> well, the
2: three of us could somehow come up with a better plan though. Just, to just be, well, or more,
3: more sustainable one. Let's see, you know, creating content like this, maybe somebody just catches the ear of somebody. Uh, Marie, before we get into the heavy stuff, we've had a bunch of different people on that have worked in different government positions I would love for you to take our audience into your story. What what resonated with you that made you want to work in public service and in government?
0: Well, that's a great question. I've been in Washington 16 years now. I, I realized that today, which feels like a long time. So I was in college on 9-11 in Bloomington, Indiana, and was already studying foreign policy, but really felt like it was such a seminal moment. I wanted to help. I wanted to do something to serve my government. And so after graduate school, I applied for one job and that was to be an analyst at the CIA. And thankfully I got it. I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't, but that really started my, my time in Washington. And the one through line I always tell people is my whole uh, sort of reason for being what I've tried to do here is to help explain to the American people why foreign policy matters, why what happens overseas matters here at home. I mean, you've done whole episodes on things like Afghanistan, for example, and you know that it can feel very far away, but there are often a lot of real life consequences back here at home. So through the CIA, through the State Department, through political campaigns, even for folks uh, running here at home, they all talked about foreign policy a lot. And so that's what I've tried to do.
2: What do you find to be the difference between, I mean, you've again, worked through in, in the CIA. You know, so that's on more of the internal side, but then on the more front facing, trying to articulate to Americans, as you just said a moment ago, the the importance of of having mm-hmm. foreign policy, of being aware of foreign affairs from the inside to the outside. What do you feel to be the experience of, of working for the American government, but then also messaging about its works?
0: I mean, first, I would say that it is such a this sounds like a cliche. But the honor of a lifetime to stand at that podium and try to explain to the world what we're doing through some really consequential things through the Iran nuclear deal, through the civil war in Syria, right through, through things that felt very important. I think two things stick out to me. The first is politics um, was never divorced from foreign policy. We, We pretend like it was and it wasn't, but it's gotten so much worse. I mean, it has gotten It has gotten so much more toxic. It's mirrored our politics with everything else. But I think it has made our position in the world really difficult. Today, when our negotiating team is talking to the Iranians about getting back in the deal, they literally say to them, we don't believe you that if you lose in two years, three years, that you'll be able to stick to it. And that's really powerful, right? That is um, not in a good way. I would say powerful, not in a good way. Uh, But also it's increasingly hard fighting the misinformation and disinformation. You all have also talked about this, I know. Um, I can only do so many briefings a day. I can only put out so many tweets a day. I can only get out the information as fast as I can. And we are confronting adversaries at home and abroad that will stop at nothing and put out every bit of misinformation. And at some point when people stop believing the truth that is really hard to counter, foreign policy, domestic policy, anything, um, and when you have countries like Russia doing it deliberately, systematically every single day, that's a challenge. And I don't think our government knows how to how to fight it yet.
2: Actually, I'm glad you just brought up Russia because that's I think sometimes a story we tell ourselves. Or like uh, that's maybe something to unpack is what level of influence do you attribute Russia to, or specifically the Kremlin? But to what we're fighting right now in terms of misinformation disinformation is it really a case of on one side you have the Alex Joneses of the media world <laughs> that you know tell the stories that they do but then on the other side there is this foreign influence in your view is it more on the foreign side or is it more of a almost equal balance of just you know tomfoolery and just craziness on our part you know internally coupled with a nation's um, direct efforts to try to disrupt our democracy
0: Well, I think it's actually both. The Russians certainly have a playbook that they try and use in a number of countries. They use it here, but that playbook requires a willing audience to really be effective, right? We have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans who follow Russian bot Facebook accounts that promote certain political points of view, that, that went to rallies in 2016 organized by Russian Facebook groups. And when you tell those people, you see these anecdotes, sometimes they don't care as much as you feel like they should. You're like, I, I would actually care if I was following someone that I thought was an American that wasn't. So I, I think that that Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, there are countries that have a lot of uh, capabilities here. We've seen this. There are non-state actors that can take offline companies right, with ransomware attacks. But at the end of the day, it is Americans who are willing to believe the lies and promote the lies even after they're shown to be false and that's nothing that's not foreign policy right that's that's like education that's a whole host of issues back that's tech policy right that's a whole host of domestic issues but they definitely need that willing audience and they have it here in the u.s today
2: if if our system of government if democracy as we term it in america is disrupted and it's felt on a foreign stage. I think we all agree we can just, without naming you know, the several influencers or the impact of it, we all know it's a bad thing, for lack of a better phrase, obviously. But Marie, from where you stand, if you have to articulate that, just that the American consumer of information understands truly what's at stake when you have nations like Iran, China, and Russia that are intentionally trying to disrupt our system of government, what happens, hypothetically speaking, what happens if America doesn't or fall short if this great experiment that we have um, doesn't make it out of you know short of 300 years? What happens then? Why do foreign actors benefit if we fail?
0: I mean, we could talk for hours about this, right? (laughs) And this is why uh, I think a lot about this. And I think I'm really in a kind of a dark place about American democracy today. I think that countries like Russia want us to be in chaos. Right. They liked Trump, but above all, they like chaos and they like us fighting against each other. They like us expending our political capital in ways that make it harder for us to do things overseas. Right. And so they want um, they don't have you know, we they don't have the uh, need to get their parliament or whoever to sign off on every time they want to do something overseas. Right. They just do it. their that's their form of government. And they want to show, I think, also to people in their country and around the world, that democracy doesn't work that well, right? I do believe what Joe Biden says when he says the sort of the fight of our time right now feels like autocracy versus democracy. And democracy has not shown people around the world that it always can deliver, right? Talk about income inequality. Talk about our healthcare system. No, democracy is messy and it's hard. And Putin and his friends, and some of those friends are in the US, by the way, Um, Make the case that like maybe straw men are better and maybe autocracy is better and maybe that chaos is bad for you. And yeah, maybe you can't vote in Russia, but like you also, you know, don't have riots in the streets or whatever their propaganda is. So I think I think it makes it it bogs us down. It makes it harder for us to project power around the world and lets them fill that vacuum when we can't make decisions because we're so broken. Right.
3: Right. Marie, I mean, uh, it's
0: really negative, right? I feel like I'm such a Debbie Downer, right? No, now, the but, reality is, but, actually,
2: no. We we had Kim, we had Kim Whaley on the show, you know, right. land list. and she, you both almost syllable to syllable, you know, mm-hmm. both express that same graveness of what's going on, and to hear people who know what they're talking about, which is what we do here. At Can For we please, please talk? Um, <laughs> it is frightening because you're both experts in your respective fields, and you're both. You know doomsayers here but not in, in sort of the I- exaggerated way like right. shit is real for lack of a better phrase and you know, have to totally. speak to it is um it's astonishing and scary and we should all be paying attention yeah
0: well the scariest thing is sorry i don't mean to that no, i will end by the last scary thought maybe i won't promise that but the scariest thing is when you get past the misinformation and you just have americans openly blatantly embracing strong men autocrats when you when they say in these recent polls that they feel like violence against the government is okay right they're saying the quiet part out loud just all the time it's not even like they're being misinformed on facebook they're just they're just saying it and that to me is when people are actually praising putin that actually to me is one of the scariest Mm. things well sorry go ahead
3: (laughs) no no so uh, listen this one of the reasons why we invite you on the show uh like-minded people want to talk to like-minded uh people (laughs) right um maria i want to ask you because we're going to get into you being a Fox News contributor, talking to a former Fox News producer. Uh, we're going to get into that angle in a sec. We're going to talk about Democrats and messaging and what you would advise people uh, that are running, uh, not only for re-election, but actual election in 2022 in the midterms. The first thing I wanted to ask you, though, you know, you were a spokesperson uh, giving pressers daily, weekly. Gensaki's are going to be leaving soon. Can you take people inside, speaking of messaging, how tough <laughs> it is? to go out there with some notes and address the press and give the information. Because I think to the outside people, I hate speaking in generalities. Let me speak in actualities. To me, I've never worked in government, right? But I know that corporate America compartmentalizes this thing, right? What the CEO says to the head of a department trickles down, trickles down. Don't give this out. Don't give that out. Now this comes to your world and you have to go out there and answer questions about it. How tough is that role and and what Jen's doing uh, up there and the many different people that ran through that last job uh, during the Trump <laughs> administration? How, how hard is that job? Take us inside that.
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, kudos to Jen for bringing back smarts and stability and sass and all of that to that podium. Um, but it is a, you know, it's a pretty stressful job because you never want to make a mistake. Uh, mistakes have consequences. Right. At the State Department, we would have Bibi Netanyahu or the Russian foreign minister call and complain to Secretary Kerry about something Jen or I said at the podium. Right. That, and that's annoying that. But there are real consequences to these things. Right. And you don't ever want to make a mistake. And you feel because you're representing the president or the secretary or your country. I mean, you don't not that you ever want to get anything wrong, but you really don't want to get anything wrong. And, and the biggest and most important thing is that reporters know that you know what's going on right? The worst case scenario, you see these stories about some of the Trump press secretaries who barely met with him, who weren't in the room. People know Jen is speaking for Joe Biden, right? People knew that Jen or I had a a really good relationship with the secretary. We were in the meetings. We knew what was going on. Uh, You know, I think press people are best when they're, we're not talking point monkeys, right? We're not just given a piece of paper and we read it out loud. It's, you're part of the, Policy doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? It doesn't exist separate from the conversation and the public, the conversations that you have. And so you are part of the policymaking process every single day. That's why Jen is so good at her job because people know she's in that room, right? But it is, I mean, it is a, it is an exhausting job. And it is um, under the best of circumstances, I can't imagine doing it with the COVID pressure on top of it. And you can't ever think strategically you really are like, it's, it's, the, it's the, the tyranny of the inbox, right? And so that's why the White House has a comms director too. And that's why there are other people that do that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy all the Trump people that went through it too. It's, yeah. it's amazing some of the people who held that position.
3: Yeah, well, I, you, I'm so glad you said talking points monkey because <laughs> I don't have a transition for that or a segue. I'm gonna try because okay. democratic messaging, buzzwords socialism communism taking our guns how come i can recite all of the republican talking points and buzzwords but i can't cite the democratic ones why are democrats always bad at messaging or at least getting all on the same page why is that as somebody who's worked in messaging for campaigns at a state department why is that why 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 is the other why is the other team not that we're on this team but why is the other team yeah, yeah good at messaging?
0: Well, first I would say that not that long ago, Democrats were pretty good at messaging. I mean, Barack Obama's campaign, I also worked on that in 2012, like we were really good at messaging against Mitt Romney, right? I mean, and and so that wasn't that long ago, feels like it was. I I think you just hit the nail on the head with a couple of things though, that right-wing media, and I would argue most of the Republican politicians in office are unable to be shamed and are, and I, I don't mean to sound over the top here are willing to lie sort of repeatedly. And so are the democratic side often gets um, wound around the axle of the policy, or how do we talk about the meat of it? How do we, and like, we never want to spin anything. We are. And it's like, well, Republicans are just saying whatever the hell they want to say. And so that's really hard to combat against. And that's not an excuse, but when they say, um, you know, use of like an abortion or something. They say the, the craziest, most offensive thing. I've had people on Fox say the most offensive things to me, right? Um, I don't think the Democratic Party yet knows how to respond to that. I don't, I don't think we do. And that's not a cop out. I, I don't know what the answer is because you're right. Like we, and, and every race now is nationalized. Every congressional, every school board race is nationalized. And we go in there and we say, that's not what critical race theory is. And, and there are a bunch of people who will never believe you. I don't know what the answer is, man. I really don't. I think you've identified the problem. And I think there are good tactics for people running in races that they can use, but I do not know how Democrat, I mean, our policies are popular, many of them. How do you make them real? How do you, I mean, how do we blanket the field and talk about what Build Back Better would do? I, I, there are traditional tactics that I think sometimes work and sometimes don't anymore. And I, I, I feel like that's an unsatisfying answer, but it's really, really, really hard. I think, look, we won in 2018 because we showed voters that the things the Republicans promised when they were in power didn't come to be. So like Republicans are master shit posters, right? But when the rubber meets, the, I think I can say that um, here. Legally, yeah, family, the rubber, though, Right. Right. Yeah. Um, when the rubber meets the road, they didn't repeal Obama. You know, they didn't do the things they promised. So Republicans are really good at being the minority. I don't know. Those are just some initial thoughts.
3: Marie, it's a complicated question. You know? <laughs> and, and by the way, I also think and you can agree or not uh, before you go, Nick, there's more money in talking about the problem than solving the problem. It's kind of why we started the show, not really for the money part. It was more of <laughs> the misinformation, disinformation. And I, and, and I worked as somebody who was at that network, right, on the <laughs> news. You know this. There's a news division somewhere in there. It's hiding somewhere under Tucker Carlson's <laughs> pants, but it's there, right? And it exists, but those people are not watching between 9 to 11 or at 1 p.m. with John Rob. They're not watching during those periods. They're watching between 8 to 11. So, and that, and then that's the problem that kind of now disseminates. And we just recent rating numbers just came out. Fox again blew out competition out of the water in the primetime slots over 1.4 million viewers, right? Where CNN's viewership has dipped and MSNBC's viewership has dipped. So we get into messaging. It's like, well, the numbers are down on the liberal channels, right? They're up on the right wing channels. So, how do you stop the guy who's just making up stuff? And, and there's a famous saying, you know, don't ever get into an argument with an idiot because to the outside world, the people won't know the difference. But that's the problem. <laughs> now we have this this rise of people like that, you know, uh, from the from the right wing Republican Party. And it's I, I don't know the answer either. I was hoping you would.
0: <laughs> well, look, but Joe Biden also won. Right. Right? right. So so and a big question for me, I mean, I don't know if how you all think about this is, is there a point where the Republican crazy drug, where there's too much of it, right? They keep having to one-up each other. Is there a point where voters, especially voters in swing districts or maybe independents or undecideds are like, okay, man, that's like a little too much even for me. I don't know.
2: I wonder (laughs) if the answer to this all lays in what we just saw as the most recent exchange between Dr. Fauci and um, Senator Rand Paul.
3: Why would Senator want to do this? So go to... Rand Paul website and you see fire Dr. Fauci with a little box that says Contribute here you can do five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars a hundred dollars. So you are making a Catastrophic epidemic for your political gain. So the only thing you have politically attacked attacked your
2: colleagues and in a politically Reprehensible way things like the reputation Paul is basically um this is his shtick now. You know, he gets Fauci in a congressional hearing and they have this exchange. And now the move is to start questioning his finances. Like this is where we're getting desperate now, right? Um, but Fauci turned it around most recently and pointed out that all these talking points that Paul has put forward are on his website right next to a button that says to donate. But I do and what it also gets me thinking too is is part of this also, you know, when we think of the numbers, we think of how much Joe Biden won and the battle that lives in the suburbs now that we saw most recently play out in Virginia with the victory by Glenn Youngkin. Is it, uh, is it about sort of identifying the two-facedness of what of what conservatives are doing? Is it simply laying out the foolishness for what it is and letting voters then see that this doesn't add up?
0: I think I think you're onto something, right? I think that's basically what Joe Biden did with Trump. He, he said, he pointed out the hypocrisy he he also promised and we can debate how well he's done and why but a return to i don't want to say normal but um away from the crazy you know chaos only sells so much and it only sells i think i'm on the base or i'm on a certain percentage of the base and and that's what joe biden did right he's like this guy is a hypocrite and he's nuts and like i'm going to get back to normal i think joe biden also won on getting results and that's a challenge right for democrats because we need these reps, these incumbents to go, be able to go into their home districts and say, here's what we did when you gave us control. And like the filibuster and all that that stuff doesn't really matter that much to voters. Like there are good excuses for why we haven't, right? Um, Like Joe Manchin's challenges isn't going to win you many voters in a swing district in Michigan, for example. But I think, I think that was part of it, but I think you're, and and you both hit something on the head, like Democrats also just need to start calling it like it is. We need to talk like real humans. We need to try and not fight the culture wars on their terms, right? We're not going to outgun people. We're not going to out conservative people. That's okay, right? Um, We just need to start stop with the talking points and, like, just talk like real humans and call it like it is and call out the bullshit, right, Um, and say, like, this is... Just say, it, just say it, say it out loud. Um, and I, I don't think that'll win everywhere, but I think that'll win a lot of places.
3: Call out the I bullshit. Think. Call out the bullshit 2024. Uh, Marie, <laughs> I want to ask you, okay, now we've seen the number of how many House Republicans and Democrats are, are not running for re-election next year. We see how many Senate seats are up. Nick lives in Pennsylvania. Pat Toomey's seat is up over there. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden Marie Harf gets a call on the phone. Hey, I want you to come run my campaign right? What is a piece, for, regardless of state, what is something right off the bat, top three things that you would advise that person in terms of running their campaign that we need to focus on from a messaging standpoint?
0: So I think first and foremost, Twitter is not real life. And I know that's a, that's a caricature because I will do an addendum to that in a second, but like Joe Biden won the primary and the general because he got out there and he talked to real humans about real things in the way people cared about them. I will though say that when you're trying to anticipate right-wing attacks, you have to actually pay attention to Twitter and you have to pay attention to Fox because like the other day, some Biden person was asked about let's go Brandon and like made a joke about how no one knew what that was. And it's like, actually everyone knows what that is. And like, if you don't know what that is, you're you're missing stuff anyways. So I think that, getting out there, I mean, especially in these Senate races, right, if we had just won North Carolina, if Cal Cunningham had won in North Carolina, if if Susan Collins had lost in Maine, I mean, I, I think Republicans nationalize elections. And in order to win some of these, we need to take take back the actual states on the ground. I don't think you can out-organize some of the crazy, but I think in states like Georgia, you can, right? Yeah. Um, and so that I, that's what I would say. And like, get rid of the consultants. I mean, as someone who now, you know, is not in the government anymore, but talk like a real human. Don't focus group stuff. like you, you know what people can, and, and don't, and don't dismiss voters concerns, even if you think they're crazy, right? You have to have a way to talk to someone who's concerned about critical race theory. You have to, I'm sorry. I don't like that. We have to have an answer that's if you're a politician on TV, I can poo poo it. Right. But like, if you're a politician, you have to be able to say, I hear you. Like, let's talk about this. Some people won't listen, but you, you have to have, you, you can't just dismiss the crazy. There's too much of it today.
2: You yeah. Make an interesting po- an important point is that, and I think about, um, the nationalized messaging that's going on. And, and I, I like what you just said about thinking about local elections. And while I'm a fan of the, the, you know the energy that she brings but i think of someone like representative cortez in in new york you know in district i think it's district 15 or district 17 um but as a representative at the end of the day you simply represent a congressional district right so is the attitude to simply say we're not to get into a national conversation when we're trying to win a congressional race is the talking point foolishness or the, the talking point monkey that we're talking about <laughs> it's more about Is it more about just understanding your district, understanding everything soup to nuts? I mean, you've obviously worked in the CIA, like intelligence matters, (laughs) Um, just knowing knowing your district, knowing your constituency and be able to talk about talk at them as humans.
0: Absolutely. That's that's exactly right. But but the challenge is that you have to because Republicans nationalize elections, you have to be able to answer and move on. Because I think some of what, look, I live in Virginia now, we moved out to the Commonwealth after 15 years in DC. And part of what Terry McAuliffe did was every time Glenn Youngkin brought up something, he changed the subject to Donald Trump, right? Mm. And, and so it looked like McAuliffe wasn't engaging, whether or not we like it, a bunch of Virginia voters wanted to talk, and they didn't just necessarily want to talk about critical race theory, they wanted to talk about schools and their kids and education and whether they were open and what they were being taught. And so you have to be able to do both. I think you're right that the ultimate pivot is like, I, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, I'll answer all these questions, but here's what I'm gonna do for you. I mean, the Pro- Republicans have done a very good job at nationalizing issues and making people feel like they matter to them. I mean, even things like immigration, people that care most about illegal immigration don't live anywhere near the border, right? But you can't look like you're unwilling to engage Is that simply
2: because nationalizing an election means you get to use talking points that actually aren't grounded in policy? Because to get into a policy discussion, Republicans really usually don't don't have much of a leg to stand on?
0: I, I think that. And also because so much of national Republican politics are based on fear. And I think fear sells and fear often gets you elected. It gets you a lot of campaign donations. But look, Democrats have seen that campaign donations and nationalizing our elections doesn't win us elections. And we poured millions of dollars into Amy McGrath and Jamie Harris, all these people, God love them. I think they're amazing humans. We were never, sh- should we have invested that much in Kentucky? I don't think so. Um, right. I mean, that we could have used that in a bunch of other places. Um, but I, I think Republicans have, look, they are, they, are, they are the party of Trump, but they are not just about him. They have in, in, in embraced his I mean, it was before him and it's going to be after him, but the, the, the fear, right. And, and that's that nationalized fear of the other, of losing the country of it becoming less white and, and losing, you know, we're losing our schools. That is a, that is a fear that clearly has sold for them. And, and, you know, we're talking about building roads and bridges and that's amazing, but that's, that's harder, (laughs) harder.
3: The negativity always sells. Um, And let me tell you why it sells. Because as a former Fox News producer and a PA writer there for a few years, Marie, the reason I had you on the program was because, and when I reached out to old contacts back at Fox, I was like, I need to get Marie's information. They're like, got to reach out to her directly. I was like, okay. So I got in (laughs) touch with you and I've watched segments where you have gone on Fox News and just like I talked about in the first episode, like we've talked about in a bunch of different episodes with different people across the media landscape on this program, you need to diversify your news sources, right? It doesn't have to be the conventional three of CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. It has to extend to the NPRs, the Reuters, the Bloomberg Newses. You have to really consume and take a series of facts across. I want to ask you, though, before we let you go, why Fox News for you? as a former Democratic strategist, somebody steeped in Democratic politics, somebody that's worked in government before, what was it about going on that network? Because you know the times that they put you on, right? And we know which viewers are watching that, unless you've been on the five recently, which I don't, I haven't, I don't know. But th- besides the five and eight to 11, there's not enough Marie Harfs going on that programming. And you know that. And I know that. And mm-hmm. because I was a, I was booking people just like you. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, the normal rational news division that lives within Fox is between the hours of, you know, nine to 12 and then, you know, one to three, we sprinkle it in. What was it about Fox News that made you want to go on there and be a contributor, have programming like you recently had on, on that network? What was it about, Should I I should go fight the fight there where they are? What was it about going on Fox News that attracted you to go on there?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I started the day of Donald Trump's inauguration, right? The my first day out of government. And I, I joined Fox that day because I've One of the lessons I learned from 2016 was really that we just were not Democrats were not reaching enough people with our message. I mean, I grew up in a small town in Ohio where a ton of people watch Fox, even if they're not conservatives or not Donald Trump fans. Right. And so I felt like it was really important, particularly during the Trump years, to have a voice on there. If you know know the numbers, a huge number of people watch Fox, including a bunch of independents, including some Democrats, um, especially and and it's a little less polarized during the news hours. And I felt like if they never heard from a Democrat, they would always believe the caricature. Or if they just heard from more fringe Democrats, I won't name any of them, but like that, it's easy to believe a caricature about someone you don't know. I am not naive and I am not Pollyannish. Um, There's also a limit to that. There are certain shows that I choose not to do. There are certain people that I try not to be on with because I have to protect my own sort of, um, I don't know what the right word is, but- Mental health. (laughs) Yeah, well, yes, I mean, to to put it bluntly, yes, Um, there are certainly limits to that. But, but I deeply felt that people needed to hear from someone who was providing some other point of view, and that as long as Fox would give me that platform while it wasn't easy. And there were times that I was very, you know, where things were harder than others. um, I think COVID has been the hardest. Um, but, but I thought that was important and I know there are Democrats who don't think you should do it. Right. There are, there are people who don't think I should.
3: Right. And I totally, I totally get that. Listen, it's the reason why we started the show. You know, um, I worked there for two and a half years. I've been offered positions to go back to run Fox nation, which you were, you, I know you had a show on, I believe, and there was a level of, you know, I don't want to be associated with certain programming that does appear on there. Right. I don't know if I can run an entire digital division of something that I don't completely agree with. There are some shows, like we all know, but that there, I've heard other Democratic um, podcasts, specifically Pod Save America and the former Obama guys, which I know you you know. Um, they've all mentioned Fox News being like a, a fire station, right? A fire station with four good firefighters out of 35. <laughs> So should we close down that fire station? I wanted to bring that to you, but actually before we let you go, this is the last one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that point was made by John Lovett. Um, what do you think of that? Do you think that Fox News, because I, 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 let me just give you mine. I don't think that Fox News is the entirety of this. Are they the root cause? Sure. But now other branches have stemmed and this tree is too big now, because if you put on Dan Ball at nine o'clock all the way in, or if you put on Greg Kelly at seven o'clock on Newsmax, mm-hmm. a guy who was working at a local Fox station here two years ago in a morning show flipping burgers with Emeril Lagasse in the morning show with Rosanna Scotto. Now, all of a sudden, the election's stolen and he's wearing military combat boots and, and, and he's rooting for Trump. So th- there's something happened there. And, and I know his senior producer and there's a level of disingenuousness that he tells me goes into that programming. But the problem is I bring it to this format and people still don't believe it and people still tune in and people still watch. Is Fox to you the, the, like, are you in the category of demand your cable stations, get rid of them? Or are you in the category of, you know what, there's something that lives there and we need to message properly to the people that are tuning in at those times there?
0: Uh, Definitely the latter. Look, I am a person who grew up like loving this marketplace of ideas, Idea and believing that better ideas would win out. That that theory has been challenged a million times over the last four, five, six years. Um, It's really hard to still believe that, but I don't decide where the American people get their news. I can only choose whether or not I use that platform if it's given to me to promote what I believe is the best path forward for our country. And there are times when I will internally express my displeasure with something that has gone on at the network. Uh, You know, that's, I'm, I'm feel free to do that. But, but again, like this is a, Americans are getting their news from Facebook and from Fox and from other cable. And like you said, OAN, Newsmax, like the American people vote with their, with their remote controls every single day. And, and these outlets are powerful and they are not going away. And the fact that I've had a platform for four years to talk to a national audience about Donald Trump's. I mean, I don't even know the words to describe how I feel about Donald Trump, but I, you know, I had that ability, I had the chance to tell millions of people um, why I believed he was bad for our country. I mean, if that had like a tiny little impact on someone that sounds so Pollyannish, um, I I think that's, that's probably, that's probably worth it. And so look, we can't, we can't neglect these audiences. We cannot pretend like they don't exist because they do and they vote. And we need to win elections. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, that's still where I am on this. The marketplace of ideas is still like has a little piece in here.
3: <laughs> Marie, um, I liked you before. I like you way more now. For oh, good. Program. <laughs> I am so appreciative of you. Marie Harf, you can follow her on social media. Although, by the way, Marie, for those of you listening, there's a, a Marie Harf fans account on Twitter. Did you know about this? There's, there's a big account that's like, <laughs> two, three hundred, four hundred people, maybe fifteen hundred people, actually. Did I you know want to give this? credit, man. What's going on? Is that
0: right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I don't have a Twitter account.
2: Um,
0: uh-uh. be- I gave it up when I left the State Department. I was just mm-hmm. getting too much hate. And so, yes, mm-hmm. there are some fake Marie Harf Twitter accounts and I think a fan account. But, um,
3: you know, well, well either, either way, I <laughs> follow- get a blue Twitter. check, people. That's that's all I'm saying. That's it. Right. Follow her on Instagram. Uh, she's a great listen. Thank you so much for appearing on this program today. Marie Harf. Check her out. Fox News contributor former state uh, spokesperson for the state department. Thank you so much, Maria. I, I literally cannot thank you enough for coming on the program. Continue success to you and stay safe.
0: Thank you. And thank you both so much. I love the show and it's just has been great to be on tonight. So thank that you.
2: That
3: means a lot. Thank you. Today's episode of the pod is presented by pair.com. Nick, did you have a business or you need a website? I do, man. I actually real talk nicksaveri.com
2: I think as of last year closed down I had a website oh, thank for, god oh man. wow I, wow I we're doing this now we're doing I, okay. I mean All what right. was what That's was like, on nicksaveri.com <laughs> it was It you know when I was when back when I was blogging and previously I had used other blogging host services but it was awesome to have, you know, like a URL, like my very own. But, right. you know, sadly, I didn't keep up with content, uh, and then eventually the the domain expired. And hopefully, you know, there's no other Nick Severi that's taken it. But yeah, I'm definitely looking for a new place to host, man. I, I need all those kinds of resources and ways to do it in a way that makes it for, you know, someone like me. Just simple, easy, get it up there,
3: update content and, and keep it fresh. Well, Nick, you're going to be able to love this and use this product because choosing a website hosting company makes it simple with Pair Networks. Pair has over 20 years' experience managing the entire digital ecosystem for thousands of online businesses all around the world. They make it easy for you with do it yourself website building tools and features including simple drag and drop page design, which I love. They have guaranteed US-based support technicians ready to help you whenever you need it, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Right now, when you sign up with Pair Networks, you will receive one free month of web hosting. Nick, you get one free month. to NickSavari.com for free? For a month? Yeah. I'm back in. NickSavari.com for free that no one will go on. I, I, I'm I not going on that site. But, <laughs> and if that's a competing site, I'm suing you in this clause. <laughs> Listen, see for yourself how easy it is to build your website for free. Visit pair.com slash free. Get your first month of website hosting for free and enter the promo code QUICKSTART. Q-U-I-C-K-S-T-A-R-T. That's pair.com slash free promo code Quick Start, And you're going to get started today. All right. Our thank yous to Marie Harf there. Um, She was fantastic coming on the program. Nick, a quick takeaway from Marie.
2: You know, at one point she had apologized about, you know, speaking of the threat to our democracy and, and trying to sound exaggerated, or at least in her, that's what she was telling herself. And, you know, you and I brought up the fact that she's not, the only voice that says that. and we've had Kim Whaley on the show who said verbatim the same thing to be afraid of what's going on right now um, with how our like the protection of our democracy and to have people in the field who know what they're talking about and Marie does this from the standpoint of working for the CIA of all places. this, this is real folks. like yeah. these elections matter, the misinformation that you're seeing on social media and some podcasts out there, shout out to you know who um, is is happening. Like real information needs to
3: be there. And I'm glad you said it. Yeah. Listen, um, you can follow her. Like I mentioned on Instagram, Uh, if you want to reach out to Marie too, you know, let us know we we have a way to put you in email us at can we please talk podcast at gmail.com. We can answer any questions you want or even put you in touch with Marie for this show. IG, TikTok, Twitter. at can we please talk podcast on Twitter. at can we please talk. Follow us retweet, reshare. Thank you to Acast, our new hosting platform. You can click on the, sh- in the show notes how to donate to this program so we can continue to bring you fantastic content. As always, we thank each and every one of you for listening to this show. I'm Mike Leon. Shout out to Acast and one of our listeners who was on today is Marie Harf. I'm Nick Saveri. That's right. See everybody next time. Later.